Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had lain, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this stage, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. We spoke on Friday about the fact that this is one story that has two halves. We covered the first half. On Friday, it was the end of Easter. Um, not as we know it, but the grand end of Easter. And um, today is the beginning of Easter. And that is so much like God in that it's different to how we understand stories because we'll always start with a beginning and then there'll be an end. But with God, there was an end and then a beginning. But that beginning knows no end. And, and there's such a beautiful um, like move of God in where things would seem dark on a day and then light would come piercing through on a Sunday, and it's, um, in, in some way, I, I wish we had the same experience as the disciples, where it's like you experience it like um, in real time, because they didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, it's like we spoke earlier this morning um, while we were praying, you know, can you imagine we have a funeral on a Friday, and then we get together, and it's like someone who we really love and is dear to us, and a, and a figure that we look up to, and, and, and it's like mourn the loss. But then on Sunday, he comes walking through the door. I mean, what would we do? I know I would lose all of your attention. Like, no one's going to be looking here. No one's going to be listening to what I'm saying. And we're like, what the heck? I mean, we'd like, we, we lose. Like, that, that's actually what happened with him. Who am I seeing here? And um, to have someone die who's very dear to you and then come back to life, just that is a... Is a clue that this is an extraordinary story that has eternal significance. And um, so the emphasis for today is on Easter Sunday, the beginning, and it's the beginning of intimacy, advocacy, ministry, and liberty. So that's the framework for this morning, what we're going to be covering. 
the beginning of intimacy, it says in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, teacher, master. See, the, the beauty of what we covered on Friday is that the curtain was torn. It was the end of division. So we have access to the Holy of Holies, which means we have access to the most holy place. But what we mustn't forget that, that like, we don't just have access to a place. We have access to a person. And, and so this interaction happens between Jesus and Mary, um, Mary Magdalene. And I think what we need to start with is an understanding that she didn't recognize him. And I think she didn't recognize him because just as much as if we had to have buried someone on Friday to then see them, we'd be like, it's not within the realm of what is possible. So like, you're not including that person in who am I actually looking at right now because there's no way that it could be him. I, I saw him die two days ago. The other thing that wasn't um, helping her was that he was different in appearance. He looked different. The same, but different. There was a difference in his appearance. And so Jesus, in his wisdom, waits for her to actually turn away from him. And while she's not looking at him, not seeing the figure, he just says, Mary. And it's like Mary in that moment realized, no one else calls me that in that way. I know that voice. And she turns around, it's like, it's you. And, and she knows that it's Jesus by virtue of his voice. And it's like John 10, man, his sheep hear or recognize his voice and he calls them by name. And so there's this amazing moment between him and Mary where he's actually reconciling her. He's the great shepherd pulling his sheep into his fold and this um, interaction takes place in such a way that we, we start to see it happens with Mary. And then he goes on to say, go instead to my brothers. So like Jesus had called his followers a couple of things. I mean, we, we read about it in John 13. He talks about them as servants. Then he talks about them in John 15 as um, friends. But for the first time in John 20, he says, my brothers. See, like relationship has been formed in a way where we have an intimate relationship with our Savior. We come into the presence of God where a relationship is being restored and reconciliation is taking place. And so Jesus says, my, my God is your God and my Father is, is your Father. And by my death and resurrection, you've been reconciled to the Father. You've been adopted into his family. And, and we might not be conscious of this on an ongoing basis. And sometimes it's dependent on how we grew up and what we knew as um, our fatherly figures or figure. And if there was an absence in that, you, you might have a greater appreciation. But like in the deep deepest uh, inner of our, the core of who we are, 
there's a desperation to be reconciled with our Father. It plays out on earth, but it's like there's a deeper thing there. Like God has put that in us. There was an incredible story of a Spanish young man by the name of Parku, and, and it was in the 1950s, and Parku was a very common Spanish name. And in Barcelona, he had this estranged relationship with his father, and his, his father knew it, and, and so there was distance between the two of them, and his father wrote a, uh, an advert in the newspaper, and it read, Parku, all is forgiven. Meet me at the town square at noon on Friday. And on Friday at noon, not just Parku, but 800 Parkus came to the church square in search of reconciliation with their father. When we know the need that is in our hearts and, and what God has put there, then we understand that we've actually come into this beautiful reconciled relationship without us doing anything. It's much of what was already said this morning. It's like he searched for us. He searched for us like he's the hound of heaven. And he draws us in in a way where we experience intimacy and we have this relationship because of his resurrection. And this is how it plays out because he says to his disciples, I'm ascending to my father. So when we look to the resurrection, we've got to look at the resurrection and his ascension as being um, like two things that are going together because the only reason why he's still around is because he wants to show them that he has been risen from the dead. It's, and so like witnesses are seeing that he is alive and we're the beneficiaries of those witnesses. It's the only reason why he stayed there for the 40 days. But, but actually his, his reason for saying what he's saying to his disciples is like, I'm not going to be around here with you. I'm going to the Father. And to know that he is going to heaven it's like if we understand that the last, the last time that a man was in heaven was Adam. When Adam was expelled from the presence of God, when he was taken out of heaven, paradise, which was heaven and earth as one, where it was, it was together. This is the first time since Adam was expelled that a man walks into heaven. Do you, do you realize what that means? <laughs> that before that, a man could never go into heaven. And when I say man, I'm speaking for mankind. We could not go into the presence of God. And because of Jesus' resurrection and because he goes into the presence of God, into heaven, he's a forerunner of all of us who are in him and are following him. I mean, that is, that's good news. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm happy about that. Huh? So, I wonder what it was like in heaven. I mean, there's a man in heaven. Today, there's a man in heaven. Because he is a man. And he's alive. You see, that's why the news of Jesus being alive is so good. 
is because there is a man in heaven. For a very long time, there was no man in heaven. Humankind couldn't go into the presence of God. And I think if we had to consider the, the moment when Adam was banished from the garden, when he was m- removed from the presence of God, that all of heaven took a, like a devastating gasp. What was intended has through sin been undone, and this is devastating, just a gasp of devastation. What? I think heaven must have gone silent over the six hours of Jesus' crucifixion. There's complete silence in heaven because of what was happening. But now all of heaven erupts because a man is coming into the presence of God. All of heaven. I mean, we heard it in Revelation. Now it was read. Some translations say 10,000 times 10,000. Like, that's not actually giving us a number. It's just saying you can't really count this number. But even if we took it literally, that's a hundred million angels. That's like Greenpoint Stadium full of angels times 2,000 with angelic voices erupting as a man comes into heaven. He's the champion of our cosmic salvation. Like He is the one that goes into heaven as a man, which allows us to come into heaven as men and women. Without that, there is no intimacy with the Father. But because of it, we have access, not just to a place, to a person. Adam was thrown out of heaven, and the result of all who followed, you and I, was alienation. But Jesus was welcomed into heaven. And as a result, all of who follow him the outcome of that is reconciliation. So through his resurrection, we are reconciled to the Father. Intimacy. It's the beginning of this beautiful relationship that can only be possible by Jesus' work on the cross and by his resurrection. Paul writes about it in um, Romans 4. He says, He was put to death for our trespass, and raised for our justification, raised for our right standing. So you can't stand in the presence of God as a sinner. You just can't. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, none of us have that. Our hands are dirty and our heart is blemished outside of Jesus. But when we put our faith in him and the work of his atoning love on the cross and his resurrection into heaven, there is a cleansing that happens in us. Our sins are removed from us and we come into an intimate relationship with the Father. We can ascend the hill because he's ascended the hill before us. And we are his followers, the ones who have put their faith in him and believe in this beautiful Savior. The beginning of intimacy. Then the beginning of advocacy. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, saying to Mary, what he's basically saying is, we need to relate to one another now differently. Because before, I mean, he was relating to them in a way where like John would be lying with his head on his chest. And, but then we read in Revelation, where, where, where John gets a revelation and writes the book 
He doesn't lie on Jesus' chest. He worships at his feet. Because now we're talking about the glorified Savior. We're talking about the one who has been raised from the dead. The eternal, immortal, imperishable Savior. And Jesus is saying to Mary, we're going to relate differently now. I know you want me to stay. I know you want me to be here with you. But I'm, I've been resurrected and I'm going to the Father. So we're going to relate differently. And part of that relationship and how we relate differently is understood when we, when we know what Jesus is doing in heaven. And I guess the, the, one, one way of describing it, and, and I think Mary's feelings around like rabbi and wanting to embrace him and our feeling of like we, we would love I don't know if you've ever thought, like, I would love to have been alive in Jesus' time. Be able to walk the dusty roads and be able to see him. And, and it's almost like, a, like there's a disconnect because he's not here, but actually he is here. And, and he's here in a way more uh, powerful way because of his Holy Spirit. But sometimes we just have that sense of, we just want you to be here. We want you to stay. We don't want you to go. Like, we've, we lost you on Friday, but we don't, we don't want to lose you again. And, and Mary's got this, like... I just want to embrace you. He's like, you can't hold me. We're going to relate differently now. But, but this is how this plays out. If you think of being in a prison cell and you've been charged with capital punishment, so you've done wrong and you're, you're going to be executed, and, and you get a really good lawyer, you get the finest advocate that there is, who comes to your cell and spends time with you, and you find massive comfort from those times where you're interacting with your advocate, because he's not just a very skilled advocate, he's, he's, um, he's compassionate, and, and his heart's for you, and, and your, your situation is, is, it moves him, it's important to him. And so you, you could relate in a way where, like, this is so meaningful. This relationship that I have in the prison cell with the advocate that, that I have is, is, is so meaningful and it's so precious to me. And, like, this is where I want him to be. But actually, you'd be wrong in thinking that way. Because where you need your advocate the most is not in the cell, but in the courtroom representing you. Like, if, if you get to the end of... Like the, the day that the charge comes through, if, if you haven't had an able performance in the courtroom, you're in trouble. The fact that you've had conversations around like what, what life is like in the cell, and you've had comfort, and, and there's been a level of, you know, hey man, it's so lucky to have you, yeah. And, but like if you get to the day where it's like, okay, well now sentence is being executed, yeah. And, and if I don't have representation in the court, where my plea has been heard, well, how's that helping me now? So you see how Jesus is saying to Mary, I'm not going to be with you here because I'm going to represent you in the courtroom of heaven. I am your advocate. That every time there's anything that happens in your life, I will be your representation. You see, it's the beginning of the grand advocacy of Jesus who goes into the presence of God with his atoning work and he pleads on our behalf 
through his blood that we are cleansed. And it says in 1 John 2, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So every time there's sin in our lives, there's an appropriating work of Jesus where he shows his nail-scarred hands. And the work, the atoning work of the cross gets appropriated to your life every time there's sin in your life. There is grand advocacy that's taking place so many times we're not even aware of the times. But we know we have an advocate with the Father. Because he is not just raised from the dead, he's ascended into heaven and he is relating to us in a way where he is our grand advocate. He is our cosmic champion who appropriates his atoning work over and over and over again. You see how this is good news in that it doesn't matter how I live my life in terms of the, the failures and the things that I mess up. Obviously, God has got something for us in terms of how we can live in greater godliness and become more like him in his image. But every time I fail, every time I fall short, there is an advocate who appropriates his work of atoning love for every moment that I need it. It's just an ongoing reality. So it's not just the beginning of intimacy, it's the beginning of advocacy. Because he's our risen savior, he's alive today, and he represents us all the time. That's where our need is greatest. He's not trying to prove me innocent. I mean, I'm, we're guilty as charged, right? So we, we, we understand that we're not, we don't have an advocate that's trying to prove that we're innocent. What we have is an advocate who has bought the price. He, he has the ransom in his hands. By what he achieved on the cross, it, it's been bought for us. We have pardon. He has bought our pardon. And so he's not trying to prove that we're innocent. He's just bringing a perfect plea of forgiveness and atoning reality for us because of what he's achieved for us. Then ministry. It's the beginning of ministry. Again, Jesus said in verse 21, peace be with you. That's just another way of saying, I am with you. You see, we can't see peace as being the absence of harm. Peace is the presence of a person. So sometimes we pray for peace and we want everything to be fine in our lives and we think of it circumstantially. Everything's got to work out. You know, I don't want any harm to come my way. I don't want to be faced with any risk. I don't want to have things happening in my life that's difficult. But actually Jesus' answer to it is, I am with you which means that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, doesn't matter your circumstances, he's with you. Peace. And he's with you in a way that is um, commissioning. He says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So it's not that he's just with us. He's with us for a reason. He's with us because he has put this incredible mandate on our lives where we come to know this truth. We come to know the, 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 the beauty of an intimate relationship with our Father and an ongoing perpetual advocacy for everything that's wrong in my life. And as a result of that, 
I, I can stand before God, I can be in His presence, I can know Him. But what about those who don't? What about those who haven't come to this faith? What about those who are still living in darkness? Those who are still living with this divide? Because even though the curtain's been torn, that doesn't mean automatically everyone just comes into the presence of God. It's through faith. It's when you believe in Jesus. And so we're commissioned to go, and, and Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. I'm sending you with incredible authority, my authority. All authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go, and he commissions them for gospel proclamation. It's like you've got news. I mean, if someone did walk through the door and it was like funeral Friday, now they're alive. Like, I don't know, I'm not going to have to like encourage you to like, why don't you go tell someone? <laughs> the problem would be to get you to shut up. It's like, okay, I, I heard it, thanks. And every person, it's like, you won't believe it. The guy came through the door. He's alive. He was dead on Friday. But he's alive. You'd be telling everyone you know. And yet, like, that's just a temporal reality. The person's going to die again. Yeah, we have someone that will never die again, who has secured an eternal future. The difference between eternity outside of God's presence and eternity in God's presence. The curtain's torn, access has been made possible, but someone must give the message. And so this is the start of ministry through us. You know, the, the ministry of Jesus, his earthly ministry, ended over this weekend. And some people say, and then his heavenly ministry started. I actually prefer to see it as his earthly ministry through us started. Because there's a commissioning that's happening now. Jesus is still ministering. He is still drawing people. He is still expressing his love and showing people the way. His light is being shone into the darkness of people's hearts. It's still happening, but it's through us. And so he commissions his disciples. I'm sending you. Just like I was sent, I'm now sending you. And he, he does that with his resurrection power. Romans 8, 11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And Ephesians 1 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Do, do you realize the power that, that rose Jesus from the dead, that brought him back to life? That same power is now given to us. Do you know that power? Is Jesus ministering through you as a sent one? Because we are made alive 
to God. We are made alive to the things of God. We are born of God. It's a regeneration work that's taking place. His Spirit is now upon us, which is why He can go to heaven, because it's like, I'm still with you. The Spirit of Christ is given to us with resurrection power. Man, that is so exciting. I feel like I want to rip a tissue or something. <laughs> Squeeze a grape. I don't know. But it's like, I don't know, like sometimes we just read these things and we think, yeah, and? I feel like I can see it in some of your faces. So what? No, not so what? There is resurrection power. Resurrection power from heaven. Where Jesus commissions us and he equips us and makes us fit for his ministry. Can we come before him and say, risen Savior, fill me with your power. You see, this is a whole new life. We, we can talk about what happened on Friday and how he has made it possible for us to not have to focus on our duty and our efforts because he has done it all. That he has absorbed the darkness of God's judgment. And that the division has, has been taken away. But now what are we doing with that? We're just going to take that for our benefit? There is a ministry. He gives you a new life where you know, I am now in a relationship with my heavenly Father forever and ever because I don't just have access into the holy place. I have access to Him. I have access to Him and, and, and He is emboldening me. You know why I feel like I can take steps? It's because there's an advocate that's just constantly making sure that, that the appropriating of God's love and His atoning work is happening in my life. Like This has got to G us up in, the, in a way where we just realize there's a new life that He gives us. When He says, I make you new creations. It's a new life. He has resurrection life, which means we can have new life with that same power, and we can with His shaping us. I mean, so many things happen when the Spirit of God comes into our lives. We have a renewing of our minds. How many things is being cluttered, and the stuff that we, we're hearing, and the weirdness of this world, with what's culturally relevant, and all the sensitivities of, I don't, know, I don't even get into it. Our minds need to be renewed. By his word. And, and we're filling it with a whole bunch of other things. We have an opportunity to come into this fullness of what God has. With a new life. With resurrection power. Our minds renewed. Our hearts transformed. A shift in our priorities. And what's important to us. We get to live for him. We get to live this incredible life. Of where he calls us to live for his glory. And for eternity. We get to live in a way that carries eternal significance. Every time you proclaim the gospel, eternity is being affected somehow. Seeds are being sown. People's hearts can be responding to that. They can also come into this beautiful truth of salvation. And he equips us. He says, this power is yours. He breathes over them. You ever watch the... Um, what's that, Chronicles of Narnia? 
a bunch of statues, and then the lion comes, and he just breathes, and they just go from cold, hard statues to, to living beings. You're a living being with the divine breath of God upon you. We get to minister. It's the beginning of ministry. Liberty. It's the beginning of liberty. Jesus shows them his hands and his side. The reason why he's done it, doing it is because he's saying, it's me. Like, I need you to know. You, you're probably struggling to really figure out, like, what's going on here. But if I show you the scars, if I show you, like, you know that this is what's taken place. So he's showing them the scars of his crucifixion. And what he's doing in that is he's saying, I've not just been risen from the dead, but I've been risen with the same body that I had when I was on the cross. Scars are still there. Have you ever wondered why Jesus' disciples didn't recognize him immediately? Why Mary struggled and the guys on the road to Emmaus? I think we need to understand Jesus' um, appearance and something of who he was as a human, because he had a body, flesh and bone, a digestive system, and everything that goes with being human. He was fully divine as well, but he was fully human. And if we look at um, Scripture's description of him, we would know that he was not an attractive man. I get really irritated when I see these paintings or like a, a movie where they cast someone like some Scandinavian hippie with blonde hair and blue eyes. He, he didn't look like that. He was a Middle Eastern man. He was a lot darker than what most of us would hope for. He wasn't attractive. Read Isaiah 53. There was nothing in his appearance that anyone was attracted to him. And he looked older than his actual age. When he was interacting with the Pharisees, and they were talking about Abraham, he was like, well, before Abraham was, I am. they like, what? How could you be, how could you have been before Abraham? You're not even 50, they say. How old was Jesus? Early 30s, right? Don't you think it would have been a stronger argument for them to say, you're not even 40? Like, if, if you're saying you were before Abraham, you're not even 40. But no, they say, you're not even 50, which means what? He looked older. And now he's raised to life. He has a resurrected body. He had a body. Flesh and bone. His risen body. He didn't have a new body. He had his original body, but his original body had been renewed perfectly, restored beautifully. To represent God's intent of what he would look like or should have looked like, which means he probably looked younger. This is kind of like an extreme makeover, one of those like grand reveals, like you look younger, you look amazing, like I can see there's still traces of you, but 
it was that kind of thing where it's like he still looked. There was continuity. He had the same color hair. His voice still sounded the same when he said Mary. It's like, I know that voice. There was traces of continuity, but he was renewed, restored. Do you know what beautiful truth this is for us who have lost our six pack? We're not looking great. And as we get older, it just gets worse. I know the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of us more fearfully than wonderfully. But it's... Yes, Jesus raised from the dead in a renewed and restored way. And he's no longer subject to the effects of the fall. He's no longer subject to weakness. He's no longer subject to the vulnerabilities of being human. No longer subject to aging. No longer subject to death. But able to live for eternity in an imperishable, immortal body. Free from imperfection. Free from vulnerabilities. Free from everything that we struggle with in this life. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? He's accomplished eternal liberty. What does that mean for us? 1 Corinthians 15 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's you and I, because we're all going to die. And when we fall asleep, it will be a matter of time. When he comes back, he will raise us in the same way that he was raised with a renewed body and a restored perfection, we'll be in glory. That's what the disciples were looking at. They saw Jesus. That's why they overjoyed. This truth is now ours. What a beauty. Their Lord was alive and well, but his resurrection also meant their resurrection. His freedom from all the difficulties of being human had become their freedom. No more need for oil of delay. We, we have a complete liberty. Now you might say, well, that's just a future thing. Yes, it is future. But I'll tell you this much. The more you look at that, the more you refresh your mind and renew your mind with that truth, the greater the impact will be on how you live today. Because we're so worried about our, our temporal futures that we lose sight of this beauty that is lying ahead of us. He's our risen Savior, and His resurrection means our resurrection. Though we die, we will never die. So heaven is not just our destination. It's our motivation. We get to live differently because of the resurrection. And I trust that this word has stirred something in you to say, my goodness, because he lives, I can love. I can live differently. He's given me new life. He's given me intimacy. He's my great advocate. I can minister in a way where he ministers through me and I live with complete liberty because of what he's done. 